You're listening to the podcast, Opioid Abuse on the South Shore, where I, Desmond O'Neill, sit down with different people and organizations working to address the growing opioid crisis. In this episode, you'll hear me speaking with Jen Cantwell and Kathy Epreveri from Marshfield Facts, a community coalition that works on the South Shore to educate students and parents about the dangers of drug use. My name is Kathy Epperberry. I'm a co-chair of Marshfield Facts, um, along with Ann Kelly. Um, we took over for Jen um, when she decided to step down. And I'm Jen Cantwell. I'm currently the secretary of Marshfield Facts. So Marshfield Facts is a community coalition for substance use prevention. Uh, Facts stands for Families, Adolescents, and Community Together Against Substances. It's a little bit of a uh, awkward acronym, but it is actually um, used by other coalitions in the area, so it's become kind of a recognizable brand name for prevention. Um, they use it in Situate and in Duxbury, and we participate in um, a regional group called South Shore Facts, where we um, get a lot of our ideas and collaborate with other towns. Um, so the idea behind a coalition is that it's a public health approach to substance use prevention and it engages um, people from all uh, sectors of the community. We work with the schools and the fire department, the police department. The clergy. Um, Kiwanis, cler yeah, clergy, uh, parents, of course, yep. are an important part. Um, we just had a great meeting with the Boys and Girls Club. We're gonna collaborate on an event with them. So we're, um, the approach is to engage the entire community in the, in the uh, issue. Tell me about the open coalition meetings. Well, you want to talk about that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our next meeting is that our November meeting um, is going to be on the topic of um, how laws get changed. So um, uh, Plymouth County DA Tim Cruz uh, shared with me that he was um, very happy to have collaborated with Josh Cutler, who's a state rep for um, Duxbury and Pembroke, and I think Whitman and Hanson, um, but uh, they worked together across the aisle. So um, Tim's a Republican, Josh is a Democrat, on an issue that was brought to them by a family from uh, Pembroke who lost their child to an overdose. Um, so I should say child, young adult to an overdose. And the issue was that um, they had um, petitioned to have him, their child, held uh, in a civil commitment, which is known as a Section 35. And um, he was released without their knowledge. So um, because he was an adult, the, the uh, family was not notified that he was released. And when he was released, then he used again and he overdosed. So they contacted Josh Cutler, who's there, rep and they um, and Josh collaborated with some other lawmakers about how they could change this law to make sure the petitioners are notified when people are released so I thought that was a really interesting example of how you know a citizen citizens worked with their lawmaker to get a law changed and how um, they worked across the aisle to get it to work and um, I you know I knew both 
uh, Tim and Josh were very proud of having made this change, so um, they agreed to come and talk about it at our meeting. And um, we're hoping to get um, not only Marshfield citizens, but also students studying government and um, students involved in the youth and government program to come and engage and, and maybe we'll brainstorm some other laws that could be changed or improved. Um, that's our November meeting and yeah. our December meeting is going to be on um, overdose awareness and we're hoping to have a Narcan training at that. Yeah, the one thing right. I like about our meetings is that we always try to have a different topic at each meeting and that's something that we feel would interest the community. Um, we did a, a, book, a, a book discussion for one of our meetings. Um, I mean, we just try to just like just take any anything that's hitting the news or that we feel is like at the forefront of the topic of drugs or substance abuse and bring it to our meeting. So every meeting is different. So it's not like, you know, you come in and we're just sitting there and talking about the same thing all the time. So. So this is really about bringing the community together around solving this problem. Right. right. We're, yeah. yeah, we're not talking at the people like like, you know, like you know, like, you know, you go to most meetings and you're just being talked at. We try to make it interactive and bring things into the community that the community may be interested in or to know about or to learn about. Um, I think that's one of the things that I, I liked about liked about us is that we've always had interactive meetings. You know, people, we always come in and, you know, we set time at the end of the meetings for people to tell us their story because we want to know their story. That's why we're here. It's like, and once we hear a story, it's like, well, there's another need. How can we fill that need? And it's so it's just, it's, it's been like awesome that way to, to help, help the community more. How are you working with the schools to spread awareness? Um, so, well, I have to say, uh, Jeff Gar Garantino and Mary Beth Battis have been um, with us from the beginning, and we do work in cooperation with the schools. And we, what we do is we try to supplement what they're already doing in the schools. So we'll tr we, we bring programs to the schools, like uh, we brought Chris Heron in one year, Hidden in Plain Sight, um, uh, Not My Kid. Um, we did... Um, what are some of the other things we brought to the school? Uh, we we brought Joe Schrand in oh, one Joe year, yep. um, and um, we've um, our most recent thing was bringing our um, inebriation goggles that, yeah, um, that's right. that so simulate uh, drug or alcohol impairment. We um, we were able to bring them right to the homecoming football game and set up and have people try them out right at the homecoming football game. So that was fun for us because we got in front of a big crowd there. Yeah, um, and we had a bunch of kids trying on the glasses and. <laughs> And, and realizing like, wow, we, you know, you really can't see when you're, you're inebriated. So it was actually a pretty good, really good awareness event, I thought, yeah. you know, that and was hands on. I think it's important to note that the schools really um, do a lot. Like um, they are working on this um, constantly. You know, Mary Beth Battis is, um, she uses the um, YRBS, which is the Youth Risk Behavior Survey data to um, assess what needs to be taught in the health classes. And um, Jeff Granatino, like we said, the superintendent is a huge supporter of Marshfield PACS. He has been from the beginning. Um, but they, they're on it. They're really doing a great job, and um, mostly through health class, but also in um, this social uh, emotional learning uh, kind of push. You, you see more of that programming in the schools. That's geared towards stress reduction. So we know that um, 
the number one reason teens say they use substances is stress. So it used to be peer pressure. You heard a lot about peer pressure, like when Kathy and I were younger. Yeah, exactly. You probably have, a, but um, you know now they it's stress, and they know so. And then and um, so we what we like to incorporate ideas of wellness. We did an, uh, we did a program last in the spring with uh, Sherry Damon, who's um, a um, therapist and, and specializes in wellness and, and um, like meditation techniques and things for, that are calming and to help relieve stress because if people are relieving stress in a, in a positive way, then maybe they're not turning to substances to really relieve that stress. Right, and I think a, a lot of um, what we try to focus too is just building resiliency in children because we just feel, or I've seen with, uh, you know, a decline in that with my own children is, um, you know, is coping with the stress and learning coping mechanisms. And, you know, I think a shift has to be made to put some mindfulness and some meditation and some wellness into their thought process, which is, I don't think, you know, you know, eating properly and taking care of yourself and putting yourself first. You know, the, you know, as far as, you know, to build the resiliency, so, to take some of the stress away to help prevent the usage is, um, I think is like kind of the course. Um, and I, I was also very happy that um, they included us also um, to set up a table outside of their pre-prom event. And we handed out uh, social hosting materials. And um, I mean, that was, that was a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, don't know, understand the social hosting laws like a lot of parents. And um, I thought that was just a great way to, to bring that to light also. So, and they've, I mean, whenever we've asked to set up a table or to be part of an event, they've never, you know, never said no. They've always included us. This year we did see a decrease in that. So parents are starting to get that message, which is important. That was kind of a, um, I think culturally in Marshfield, a particular problem we had was adults hosting parties for um, underage drinkers, and mm -hmm. that it was it was more accepted maybe in Marshfield than in other towns, or it was part more part of our culture. And I think we're seeing a shift in that. And I do think parents are starting to realize that um, it's not okay. It's a, yeah, it's a no-no. So there are studies that show that kids that are um, allowed to drink at home drink outside of the home because they think my parents think it's okay. I, I don't. You know, obviously it's not a big deal. They let me do it at home, so I'm, why wouldn't I do it outside? So, so it doesn't really stop the outside of the home drinking. And actually, on like an elementary school level, um, uh, a couple of years back, uh, we brought we 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 were doing these uh, coffee house series where we were trying to go into people's homes and actually have a more personal approach to exposing the community to. Um, Marshfield facts and what we were trying to do in the community and we were at this one home and there must have been about uh, like 20 moms there and um, I mean even at the elementary school ages is kind of knowing your kids friends and establishing like contracts with them and saying hey we're gonna be a drug-free alcohol-free family and kind of incorporating, you know, getting other people to buy into that so that you know that when your child's at another kid's home that they're not going to be exposed to that. But actually verbalizing that conversation because I don't think people are having those conversations. And I think those conversations need to happen um, because, you know, it's, you know, a great way to establish friendships and trust and knowing that when you're sending your kid to somebody's house that they're, you're sending them to a place that have the same beliefs and principles that you have. You know, we, I think we know, too, that with the social host um, issues, that uh, there was kind of this misconception out there that it was 
um, like 50% of the, there at one point the figure was 50% of the students had said they had been at a party. So people were thinking, oh, 50% of the families are hosting. It's not 50, it's the same few families Families. that are hosting these huge parties with these kids, right? The kids know which houses it's gonna be okay. And that's, the kids gravitate to those houses. So it's, I I don't think, and I think that more and more adults are getting on the page of not thinking it's okay. Yeah. 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 See, when I grew up, I don't know about you, but there was like a zero tolerance policy. So it was like, if I went over to a friend's house, it was like, you know, you know, my neighbor's friends, you know, my neighbor's parents had just as much rights to my disciplinary action <laughs> as my parents did. So there was no, there was like a zero tolerance thing there. So it's, oh, okay. it's just, you know, it's just kind of evolved a little bit. But I think communication is the key to all of it anyway. Just talking to your kids' friends and their parents and finding out what's, what's okay and what's not. Can you tell me about the Hidden in Plain Sight event? Um, well, the Hidden in Plain Sight is basically we um, take a, a, a mock teenager's bedroom and set it up like a teenager's bedroom. And Hidden in Plain Sight is is basically like drug paraphernalia or substance, I shouldn't say drug, but substance-related paraphernalia that are obvious in the room, but you might ne- not necessarily know that you're looking at something that may be like substance abuse or drug or you know, uh, vaping related. Um, and um, so I guess we can give some examples, right? Yeah. Like there was a I tennis guess. ball that had like a slit cut in it, but when it was just sitting on the kid's desk, it just looked like a tennis ball. But if you squeeze it, there was like a, a slit in it and they were hiding stuff inside the tennis ball. Or there was like a bag of gummy bears and it looked just like a regular bag of gummy bears, but they had been drenched in alcohol. Um, but like, you know, if, if you wouldn't know that that's something that kids are doing, you would look at that bag thinking, oh, it's just gummy bears. Like what, what could be harmful in gummy bears? Um, the other thing that, uh, one of the other things that I found fascinating was it would look like a mouse for a computer, but it was actually a scale. If you took it apart, you can open it up and there was like a little level and a little scale in there. Um, but it's just kind of like um, bringing awareness to parents of like when you're walking through your kid's room, things might not appear as they seem, and you might need to look a little more deeply at what's actually in front of them. That's what's hidden in plain sight, you yeah. know, kind of. So, and that, um, it's a display that was put together by South Shore Facts, um, and which is the regional group, and we had access to it for free because we participate in that group. Um, and um, it is, um, there's a real shock value to it. Parents are, it, it, it's um, because it's a lot of these items in one room. I mean, hopefully you would never actually find all of those, those things, things in one room. Exactly. But um, we, we found that it's not appropriate for kids to go through because it obviously gives them bad ideas. So um, South Shore Facts has come up with a new display uh, called Weeding Through the Myths, which is... Um, on the topic of the changes to the marijuana laws, and it's um, appropriate for teens and adults, and we are working on bringing that to Marshfield. So um, it's it's a lot. It's it's really folk, very factual and focused on the changes to Massachusetts law. It's not really kind of um, for or against marijuana. We are against marijuana, but the display is more um, dispassionate and just uh, factual. Uh, but we are working on bringing that 
to Marshfield. Uh, and that we find that these interactive kind of displays are uh, an, a different way to reach people. Yeah. So um, we've found in our experience that when we bring in speakers, that's not necessarily a, uh, a we don't necessarily fill the room on, a, or we, not a lot of people on a busy weeknight are gonna take time to come out and listen to a lecture. But if we can put one of these interactive displays kind of where people are already gonna be, then it's uh, where we get a better buy-in. So uh, everybody's busy, it's yeah. hard to. Uh, yeah, it was funny, because the, with the Hidden in Plain site, um, when I told my kids about it, they were like, oh my, Oh my gosh, mom, you're like encouraging parents to like rifle through their kid's room and get into their private stuff. And like, you know, that's so like, you know, that's so, you know, invasive, like, but parents, if, if they su suspect that their kids are, are using substances and are in a bad place, I think it's better that they have tools available to them to know what they're looking for, to find the truth, to see if they are. Um, I mean, I, don't, I, I wouldn't encourage parents if they don't, you know, to, you know, don't suspect to be rifling through their kid's room and invading their privacy. That's not the, the intent there, but it is to, to, to educate them on that if they do think their kids and they're, you know, they're seriously worried that these are things you might want to look for kind of thing. Uh, not my kid presentation, the, the kind of catchphrase they use is trust but verify. Yes. You know, like that um, in they really advocated going through your kids' stuff, like just it, that when they live in your home, yep. that, you know, you're, it, it's, it's your, that you have the right to do that. Yeah, so, right, yep. Um, but, at, and then the trust can be earned, but it has to be verified. verified. I thought that was a good. Yeah, I do too. Uh, How does opioid abuse affect the community? Opioid use you know we, we do view it as a disease it obviously um, impacts the individual so it starts with the person who's actually using or has the substance use disorder but then their family is impacted um, the larger community is impacted because um, there's often a lot of crime associated with uh, substance use so the, the you know there could be thefts and um, domestic violence, and obviously the drug use itself is a crime, um, but uh, you see the impacts um, with... Um, I feel like uh, you find it like with finding the paraphernalia in yeah. public places. So now you're, you're putting safety of children in hands when they're at a playground and they're, they're, now you're finding needles in the sand or... Um, um, so when it when it's in the community, like it may start off a, a, as an individual issue, but if the issue individual issue grows, it becomes a community problem, and um, and yeah, I mean just with the, you know like the the police have told us that you know if you ever are in a public place and you find drug paraphernalia to call them because they like to track those places. So now the police are getting involved and public services is, is their resources are now being utilized in that, in that manner. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's like kind of one of those things where it's like, I feel like one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing leads to another thing. So, um, so I think it just affects the community overall on yep. all levels. Yeah, there are, you know, our police and fire and school departments are spending resources addressing this. 
um, resources that could you know potentially be spent in other ways but it's very important to address especially early on if you can um, when, you, when you're talking about resources if you spend those um, resources on, on, prevention. on prevention you get more bang for your buck than in trying to address the issue at the other end on, on treatment I mean both are important but um, your dollars go a lot further in prevention so. right and that's why I kind of feel like it's so much better to start educating as early as possible the prevention has to start early so that so so because you don't want to be in the middle of it you don't want to be that the high school parent now you're in the throes of it as opposed to like if you were the elementary school parent and you kind of had your eyes open sooner that that, that it, it becomes less of a um, like oh my gosh what am I going to do now all these things are happening and I didn't realize this was even an issue or this was even a problem and now it's right in front of me as opposed to like having the foresight as an elementary school parent looking ahead saying what am I going to be looking at in six years from now or seven years from now and how can I be a better parent in the prevention of that from happening um, and like she said using the resources that we have for prevention as opposed to you know the crisis management when you're actually in the throes of it. I mean, we operate on a shoestring budget, budget. I'm going to tell yeah. you, and we, we, we do about usually 10 events a year, and um, you know, the amount of money that we spend in a year, you would spend uh, on one person for one treatment, treatment cycle, cycle or yeah. less. Yeah. You, know, I mean, it's yeah. a, you know, treatment is very expensive. Yes. Um, and I mean, I'm certainly not saying do not get treatment. Treatment is important too, but if we could prevent people from needing the treatment, that's a big savings. So, yeah. you know, there are families that are going bankrupt trying to get their their um, family members help. Yeah, you know, there it, it and the impact on a family when you um, you know we were just talking about we, there's there are a lot of um, grandparents in Marshfield raising their grandchildren because the parents um, are uh, have, are, are, are addicted. addicted. Yeah. Um, for the appropriate we're supposed to say have substance use disorders. disorders. Yes. It is important to use the right words to use the I agree. How are young people affected by opioid abuse? So we are fortunate to work with Joe Schrand um, on a lot of our presentations. Uh, but the, the bottom line is the developing brain is more susceptible to addiction. So um, there they are, there are studies that show that if you wait until age 21 to start, um, is I think the example is alcohol, using alcohol, uh, your chance of being a, uh, addicted or becoming an alcoholic is 1 in 25. Uh, if you start before the age of 18, the uh, chance of becoming an alcoholic is 1 in 4. So we know that the average age of first use or when kids start um, experimenting is around 14. So um, the, the, the younger you are when you start using, the more likely it is to be a problem for you. Uh, so that's an important reason why we focus our prevention on youth. Right. Um, and, um, and I also just feel too, um, one of the big topics that have come up recently in our discussions with the, the pharmaceutical companies is that when kids are getting their teeth pulled and they're getting put on a uh, opioid or you know a pain reliever as opposed to like a Tylenol or something like that 
parents need to be like aware also that they need to tell you know if if it's something as simple as a tooth pull no, you know I, I i don't want any you know narcotic pain relievers can i just have you know something that's non narcotic not you know non narcotic and um i think and um along with the drinking and everything else it's th that plays a, a role in it also i mean as far yes. as i think that's an important piece too um, it's just, just being aware of, of, of that fact that the kids are, you know, at 14, they're more susceptible. So try to keep the substances as far away from them yeah. as possible. I think um, when we talk about youth and substance use, um, you know, there's this term gateway drug, which has kind of become a hot potato. Like nobody wants, it's, it's become kind of a, a negative term where people... Um, try to discredit the term gateway drug. So I don't think it's important what substance is being used. I think it's important why it's being used. So that's, um, an, that's an important reason when we go back, get back to talking about most students or most uh, teens say that they use because of stress. Well, that's a behavior they're learning from their parents. So their parents are modeling using alcohol or glass of wine after a tough day at work or something mm -hmm. like that they they're learning that at home um, so as parents we should be careful about what behavior we're modeling mm -hmm. right. but also like the idea that the this the gateway drug it, as uh, controversial as that term has become could be any substance because it's just important why the substance is it's being, being used, used not which one is being used Right. I, I've always thought of it as somebody trying to kind of fill a hole. Um, it's, it's interesting that um, this the new movie, Beautiful Boy, uh, with yeah. uh, Steve Carell, local hero Steve Carell, yeah, and right. Timothy Chalamet. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to see it when it premiered in Boston. And um, there's a scene where Timothy Chalamet talks about where he's in treatment, and he's talking about trying to fill a hole. And I thought it was so beautifully captured that feeling of um, a gap or a void really like that I think that's a lot of the the issue but there are, the substance use disorder is very complex there's a genetic component could be um, you know there are um, like childhood trauma is a big contributing factor uh, age of first use that's why we want kids to delay and would wait till they're 21 and uh, I mean ideally not use it at all but if you can wait till your brain is more developed, you have less of a chance of be developing an issue. Yeah, um, but it's a it's a complex um, disorder, which is you know, if it was easy, I guess we would have solved it by now. I know that's true. <laughs> what impact does opioid abuse have on the family unit? Well, um, I think Jen touched on it earlier. I mean, it's just um, it's just it, it could be a financial burden. It could be if it's a parent, you know, if it's spouses, it, there could be a domestic abuse uh, component. Um, there could be a, like a grandparent component that if it's the parents that are disabled due to the, the substance abuse disorder, then there could be children involved. And now, you know, grandparents are having to become parents again. Um, I mean, I think that there's just so many, there's so many, you know, things involved. If it's the child that's, has the issue, it's the stress that it puts on the family unit, uh, the you know, possible divorce situation if, if one parent can handle the situation and another parent can't. Um, I mean, what else would you? Yeah, um, and I would say too, um, you know, we, we did a, um, we 
collaborated with the Marshfield Interfaith Council a couple of years ago um, on a project and one of the things the clergy said to us is that they really see families struggling with the stigma. Like they, right. the clergy are presiding over funerals where the family doesn't want anyone to know how the person died because the person died of an overdose. And I think we're seeing less of that, but it still happens. And um, there's still a stigma around um, substance yeah, use disorder. Yeah. And you know, that impacts the whole family. Yeah. That's, um, and like we were saying, um, uh, I think uh, that ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, um, that's basically childhood trauma, that is what contributes to this cyclical nature of um, substance use disorder. So people who have experienced, um, you know, a loss in their early childhood or, um, or abuse, uh, different kinds of uh, childhood trauma, they are more likely to develop substance use disorder, but also other cancer and diabetes and heart disease. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing, uh, the, the science there yeah. in childhood trauma, how important that is. So um, families with uh, active addiction going on, th there's childhood trauma there, and then those children could grow up to develop uh, substance use disorder as adults. What can parents and guardians do to prevent substance abuse in their children? I always say, just talk to your kids. I think a lot of parents are missing that component. Um, we, there was a program that we ran at school um, a while back, and it was called Guiding Good Choices. And um, I'm in food service, so I'm, a, I'm a, the kitchen manager at Instituate. And it's like, so for me, it was like starting the conversation off with my kids really young about putting healthy things in your mouth. So we'll, let's go food shopping together and let's put a nice diet together and let's talk about putting healthy choices in your mouth. So this way, when they're, when, they're, when they're thinking about what they're putting in their mouth, they're thinking of it not just as far as food goes, but what choices are they making? Like, so if we're gonna do a sugar cereal one day, we're not gonna do a sugar cereal the other day. But having that dialogue with your children at an early age and having them understand what it means to make good choices and then providing dialogue for them when when they're when they're out and about and they're in the community and their best friend is the one that's telling them you know oh let's go to this this party at this house is kids have a hard time like now they have their best friend in front of them and, and what if they say no or is that going to upset them but if you have that conversation with them beforehand and provide the dialogue with them ahead of time then they're then th th they have more tools in their in their pouch to to help guide good choices and I, I mean to me that's one of the biggest yeah. issues I think. I think you can start really young with kids talking about nutritious nutrition and Health. being aware of what we're putting in our body and you make a clear rule you don't take other people's medicine that's a, a simple way to talk to um, children reading labels like as soon as kids start reading you right. can read labels and make sure you know what it is you're putting in your body um, but I do like too that idea of um, rehearsing refusal techniques with your teens yeah so um, so that your your teens have uh, a, a ready sentence that they're comfortable saying that sounds like something they would say that is a good response to why they do not want to use uh, alcohol or drugs and that um, escape plan yes. you know yep. parents and teens can 
um, come up with a code word between themselves that it um, that if the teenager wants to get out of a situation that they feel uncomfortable that the kind of a no questions yes. asked yeah, arrangement huge. between parents and kids that if, if you want to leave a situation you know that your parents will come get you yep. you just have to say the word yep. whatever your secret word, word is, is between yeah between you. I mean my, I had my girls each one of my girls had different situations where that that was my thing was that just call me I won't ask any questions I'll pick you up if you want to have a conversation we'll have a conversation about it if you don't you don't but the you know the primary thing for me is I just want you to be safe and if you're in an uncomfortable situation let's get you out of it and then deal with it after that and again but that's just talking to your kid and having that conversation um, I think that's to me is the biggest, the biggest issue, you know, component is, is um, that parents, th that those tough conversations are sometimes hard, but you have to do them in like a, a non-judgmental and loving environment um, so that your kids know and they can trust that what you're saying you're actually going to do. You know, so it's not like I say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to ask any questions. You go, what are you doing? What, why are you doing? You know, what happened? Like, you know, it's no, no, really, I'm not going to do that, you know, and, and trusting that I'm not going you know, not going to do that. I think, I think um, parents need to model the appropriate behavior too, like talk about yep. having a designated driver, have that conversation in front of your teen about who's gonna drive and who's and who's not gonna drink tonight because they're gonna uh, make they're gonna sure everybody else gets home. Gets like if your kids see you having that conversation, that's they're likely to make those decisions themselves. And we talked about it before, but about stress, like try not to pair your own even legal substance use with um, stress relief right. because that's just it just models that it may be be absolutely true but it just, it's not a good message to right. send to your kids um, and um, it is very important to keep conversate the the lines of communication open with your own kids I think that's probably the most important thing you can do if you need uh, outside help, additional assistance, there is um, a free referral service called Interface Referral Service. It's actually run by William James College. They will help you find a mental health professional, like a therapist or a counselor who is taking new patients and is nearby and has an appointment available. They'll work with you to figure out your schedule and um, make sure that that person uh, treats your particular issue or they really make sure it's a good fit they'll help you schedule an appointment and then they actually follow up to make sure it was a good fit and so if it you weren't comfortable with the person they'll help you find someone else so if you do find as a family that you want some professional help with that or any mental health issue that's a great place to start yeah it's an important resource and I also think it's important for parents to be a facts um, person for their child um, because it's uh, so if vaping is a thing that's happening right now as a parent I feel it's my responsibility to find out all that I can about what vaping is and what it means so that when I'm having those conversations with my kids and and they come to me and they're like mom I'm thinking of vaping well okay here are the pros and cons let's have a factual conversation about it and then if they, then, then at least when they're making a decision to do something, they're making an educated decision. But as a parent, I need to know or be in front of what is happening and what, what is going on in their world and knowing as much as I can about it so that when that conversation happens, 
then a dialogue can occur and we can talk about the pros and cons and come to a, a you know a, a, a guiding good choices decision because of the facts that they've been provided um, and I tried to, you know, like with the vaping now, it's like the kids don't think they're intaking nicotine. You are intaking nicotine. Um, and, you know, they think it's just like a fruity flavor. Yay, it's Skittles, taste the rainbow. But it's like, it's really, it's not. You're taking in nicotine and nicotine is an addictive substance. So let's, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, it tastes fruity, and it's, but it's still nicotine. Um, but you know, a lot of pe a lot of parents, I don't even know if they realize how much nicotine content is in vaping. Um, but just kind of just being ahead of the like ahead of the game, like knowing what the kids are doing, and and just kind of being ahead of it and having factual conversations. I mean, I was you know just be honest with your kid and tell them you know let them make the decisions on their own. But hopefully, you're the one guiding the good choices as a parent. Um, I mean, that's what we are here for, right? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, like, maybe Joe Strand will talk about this, though, that, like, with brain development, like, I think, you know, statistics and facts really resonate with me, and, like, oh, those yeah. make a lot of sense. That That's how I like to make decisions, and but that um, in a developing brain, adolescents, they really more fly by the seat of their pants, or more, you know, like, they, yeah. they their decision-making comes from a different part of the brain, and that they don't always take consequences into account. And so, so, it, so that's where adults and teens can have trouble communicating because right. they're coming at it from different um, parts of their brain. Yeah, but my but kids it, have always said, like, they, they're glad that I did it. Like, we, um, they, 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 they like the guiding good choices, like parenting philosophy because they made mistakes, but, they, but and they learned from them, but at least they made them educationally do you know what I mean yeah like they did it and said well all right I know all there is to know about it but I'm gonna do it anyway and then they did it and they were like oh okay that didn't work out the way I thought it was gonna <laughs> work out Katie and I just had that conversation yesterday she was just like yeah I mean I made that mistake but then I learned from it I think too like as your kid gets older like I know when my son was younger I I was I thought oh, I'm just gonna keep him away from you know, all drugs and alcohol at, at all times. I'm gonna put but them in bubble wrap. But then there's a reality of like once they are going, uh, driving and doing things on their own, you can't keep your kid away from all the stuff. So you have to build it into the child yep. that they know the consequences and the right thing to do. Hopefully, make the right choices. Like you, you have to, you have to start with the kid. Right. Like you can't. You can't change the world. You have to work on your own kid. <laughs> like we, yeah. when we're trying to change the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big job. One kid at a time. <laughs> I'll start with my own. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> what trends are you seeing in drug use on the South Shore right now? So just it, since Marshall Fax started, so we, we've been around since um, as a group since 2015, we've seen a dramatic increase in vaping. Yeah. Um, that's, this is kind of a new... I think everybody's seeing that, not just the South Shore, but, um, you know, Marshfield's statistics are much higher than the national um, statistics on vaping. So, you know, it, just as an example, um, our youth risk behavior survey showed that 33% of the ninth graders surveyed in Marshfield reported vaping in the last 30 days. So within the last 30 days, we consider current use. I think that's an important statistic. That means not that 
not I usually the have ever tried numbers are higher but I'm more concerned I'm more interested in the what's happening right current now. use right. statistics um, and by way of comparison there's a um, national survey called the monitoring the future survey and um, that survey showed that 13% of 10th graders had vaped in the last 30 days so we're 20 points higher roughly than the national average on vaping so what what is it about our culture in marshfield that kids think it's okay yeah. to vape is it because we um are less informed that we don't understand the dangers or we, you know there's easier access there are a lot of things to consider but um that's an important one and i think um you know i do want to try to avoid the the uh term gateway but you know Parents need to understand that uh, that vape pens can be modified to you to use marijuana, and so it can. You're literally um, handing the kid a tool that can be used to ingest other drugs. So, right. um, it, I do think that is a cause for concern. All the gains that we made as a society with um, tobacco, increasing decreasing the use of tobacco, or increasing our awareness about the harms of tobacco, it's all being undone with vaping. vaping and um, you know we need to uh, make sure that people are aware of the dangers there. Um, uh, yet another trend that we're seeing is that uh, uh, access to Narcan, which is the uh, drug that reverses the effects of opiates and can save people from overdose, uh, access to Narcan has been greatly improved. It's much easier to get than it ever was. And we're seeing that have an impact on overdose deaths. Um, but Marshfield still has um, very high compared to other towns nearby. We have a high rate of overdose yes. deaths. So we, um, Marshfield lost 12 of our own citizens to overdose deaths in 2017. And that's the same number that um, the city of Cambridge lost. So Marshfield with a population of about 26,000, and Cambridge with a population of over 100,000 had the same number of overdoses. Uh, so that's shocking to me. I mean, I think, it, I think it, for one thing, it shows that Cambridge is doing a good job addressing this issue, but I think that we could do a better job. And, and then um, the, uh, the last time the, the, the police spoke at our meeting, it's the multiple used multiple injections of Narcan within a short period of time to the same person. Yeah. I mean, that's like another, like, you know, you think you didn't learn the first time and now we're, we're coming to the house or we're going to where they are and, you know, administering it a second time also. Right. Yeah. And they also were, say, uh, anecdotally, I've heard that, you know, it, it used to be one dose of Narcan to reverse an overdose and now it's, it can take three or four doses yeah so um it, it's it's yeah. it's a powerful fentanyl is very powerful like that's a it's it's frightening yeah. i mean it really is and they're finding fentanyl in other drugs they're finding fentanyl in marijuana and cocaine, cocaine. and yeah. other drugs so people that's who are not necessarily seeking the the that it, it, it you know intense it's it, fentanyl is like an, a super intense heroin high, but maybe they're not even after that. Maybe they're just trying to 
dabble in another drug or get in fentanyl right. without realizing it. But it's it, laced you know. with it, and then they're not realizing it's even happening. So yeah, and they, they may not right. be, um, a, you know, on the lookout for the symptoms of a um, that kind of overdose, right? Like a cocaine overdose is different than a fentanyl, uh, fentanyl overdose. overdose, right? So um, somebody could just go to sleep and then never wake up. Like it's, you yeah. know, it's. What progress are you seeing being made? Well, I would say the biggest thing that we've seen is just um, a positive trend in our youth risk behavior survey, because that's really the most data-driven research that we have. Because um, uh, we've ha we have we've had it, we've had it to track over a longer period of time, and um, I think statistically, I think we're doing better with alcohol and with marijuana. Um, and uh, they added recently. Um, an emotional, uh, social emotional component to the youth risk behavior survey. And I think we're doing well in that regard too, is like we're finding that we're getting the social, social emotional help that the kids are needing in school. So the stresses that they're finding or what they're finding their stresses are, we're, we're able to you know, help them with those, which as we determined earlier was something that's causing them to use in the first place. Um, so, I mean, I think that's pretty much the biggest. Yeah. The biggest thing is the youth risk behavior survey, I would say. Yeah, one of the um, key questions on the youth risk behavior survey, um, I think in terms of prevention is that binge drinking question. question so binge yeah. drinking is a risky behavior that, that that's, it's defined as having five or more um, servings of alcohol in a sitting. Uh, but that um, is obviously um, abusive behavior or, um, Right. misuse behavior when yeah. it, when you're talking about a substance. So uh, we've seen those numbers coming down. So that's a that's a, a an area where Marshfield did not score well historically in the past. Yeah. And we still are higher than national averages, but we're making progress there. And so I think that's important. Right. Um, and then like an we had mentioned marker. earlier, we have seen like a decrease in um, like social hosting and kids that are have seeing going to parties where, you know, their parents are present. Um, we saw a decrease in that, right? Yeah. That was another big yeah, one that, that happened. Another, another gain. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, another gain. That's a good way to put it. So and, in, and uh, statewide, the uh, the the state of Massachusetts in 2017 saw a slight decrease in overdose deaths, about a four percent decrease. Um, Marshfield actually went up, but statewide there is a decrease. So that can be attributed to prevention efforts, but also um, I think importantly that access to Narcan. So, um, you know, I think people are still overdosing, but we're able to save more of them um, yeah. because they uh, because of the access to Narcan. But um, the uh, you know we'd like to see more of that progress in Marshfield. So, yeah. uh, access to Narcan is important because um, overdose deaths are preventable. So. Um, that there's a lot of stigma around that. We'd like to see people, um, you know, be able. You can you can get Narcan at any pharmacy, uh, and it doesn't even have to be prescribed to you. It doesn't have to be prescribed. Now there's a statewide. There's a prescription that covers everybody. Just like the way you can get a flu shot without a prescription, you can get Narcan without a prescription. But people, you know, if you walk into CVS in Marshfield, you're likely to see someone you know. So people yeah. are feel uh, yeah, are shy about reluctant. or ashamed about doing yeah. that. So, um, you know, we we hope that anybody who uh, has a loved one struggling with 
uh, opiate use that they will get Narcan because um, it really, it, it truly does save lives. And I like to say it's the least we can do is keep people right. alive until they can get help. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I know, well, that's why I like to say, like, it's literally the least we can do is keep someone alive. Right. Exactly. And, um, you know, hopefully that experience could be that kind of mythical rock bottom that people need before, you know, that maybe that Turning experience uh, is of near death is, is what will open their eyes. It, it's, it's often not, but um, if they're, you can't recover if you're dead, so, you know, we really is the least we can do. And I think that anyone who has lost a family member or a loved one to, um, op to overdose would never say that. You know, like I, I think anyone who's, who says something like that just is, is not in touch with the problem. And you know, I'd, I'd like to say about Marshfield Facts is that you do not have to be personally touched by a, um, opiate uh, addiction, addiction to come to Marshfield Facts. We are talking about prevention. We are talking about, um, you know, we're approaching it from all angles. So uh, it, it, it doesn't, anybody can come to Marshfield Facts and learn. Right this and we really, really would like to get young parents who have not yet had to deal with this to come and arm themselves with some information before they have to control the problem. Right, before themselves. they're in the middle of the crisis, right. What information do parents need to know to keep their families safe from opioids? I would say um, parents need to educate themselves. The schools play an important role. But um, we can't leave it up to the schools. Uh, the schools have a lot to do. Think about all of the things we ask the schools to do. So if you think your kids are getting all of their um, drug prevention education from the schools, then I feel like you're not doing your part as a parent. You need, parents need to arm themselves with the, the uh, facts. Yes. Facts. Yeah. <laughs> and like you it, say, th th like when there's a teachable moment, Take advantage of that moment with your child, whether it's going to see the movie that Steve Carell's yeah. in, or other movies that you've seen, or 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 you hear a story in the news, or there's a story in the newspaper, and you're it comes up at the kitchen table. Have the conversation, use those moments, and have them be teachable moments for your kids. I think that's huge too. Yeah, I would encourage parents to like in the situations where um, your child might be being prescribed a. Um, a prescription pain medication to make sure you're asking a lot of questions maybe push back a little on that doctor and make sure see if there are other alternative options pain mm -hmm. uh, options um, you know I I would hesitate to give uh, narcotic pain medication to a child right. if unless it's absolutely necessary I mean there are times obviously when it is necessary but um, I think that it's overused and I mm -hmm. think that things that used to be addressed with Tylenol. Tylenol and Motrin are getting um, Percocets now, and um, we need to push back on that. Yeah. Um, and on that topic, too, everybody should go look in their medicine cabinets and get rid of Any. old prescriptions, which you can dispose of at the Marshfield Police Department 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Opioid Abuse on the South Shore. To watch our documentary on the subject, click the link in the description.